You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. Vice Versa, which came out in 1988 and was directed by Brian Gilbert. It stars Judge Reinhold, Fred Savage, Corinne Borer, Swoozie Kurtz, David Proval, and Jane Kismarek. The genre would be body-switching holiday comedy. Marshall and his son, Charlie, are about to discover more than they ever wanted to know about each other. Because Marshall Seymour just became his 11-year-old son, and vice versa. Try and remember, I'm still your father. Oh, boy. I need a little more Hemingway Junior ASAP. Judge Reinhold, Fred Savage, vice versa, rated PG. Maybe this happened to all over America. Special advance preview Friday at select theaters. Was I the only one in the Judge Reinhold fan club in the 1980s? I don't know, but he had a good run in several of my favorite comedies. Beverly Hills Cop, Ruthless People, Stripes. Wow. You know, it says here that by the time the average American is 50, he's got five pounds of undigested red meat in his bowels. Why are you telling me this? What makes you think I have any interest in that at all? Well, you eat a lot of red meat. And it was nice to see him in a starring role for a change. I remember when this came out, it got lumped in with several similarly themed, quote, body switch comedies, which all came out within a year of it. But I always found this one to be the best of the bunch. That's right, even better than Big, which would come out just a couple of months after this. And now, having rewatched it for the first time in probably more than 20 years, was I just wearing nostalgia goggles? Nope. It's still fun. And it still holds up for the most part. I mean, sure, there are some very dated references, but there's still a charm and sweetness, which is still mainly coming from those leads. Reinhold playing Marshall, and Fred Savage playing his son, Charlie, who, of course, switched bodies. Both of them play their roles with all the obvious beats and gestures, but they play them very well. Savage deftly handles the adult dialogue, while Reinhold just shines with the physical comedy. Oh my God, my report! I was supposed to get it to Avery today. Call Marcy. Tell her I'm sick. You're sick. Hey, that's my wallet. You'll need some lunch money. Wow. Look at all this plastic. Don't even think it. It's been a long while since you went to school, Dad. What do you mean? It's not like happy days anymore. All I'm saying is, be careful out there. Hi, how you doing? I've known better days, George. Excuse me? I, I mean, uh, Mr. Ferreira. Now, did I quite buy them as father and son? Well, sure. I mean, there's not much of a resemblance there, but they both play those roles with heart. And beyond Reinhold and Savage, the cast is filled out with a nice collection of seasoned actors, including Jane Kesmarek, playing the mom-slash-ex-wife Robin more than a decade before she'd play the quirky mom-slash-wife on the popular sitcom Malcolm in the Middle. You're home now, Charlie. You'll be in your own room tonight with all your own things. I'm in the tub, do you mind? Don't be mad at me, Charlie. I'm not mad at you. 
Mom knows this is not your fault. Mom knows this is your father who's turned you into a foul-mouthed alcoholic. And of course, there's also the two villains, whose special Eastern artifact ends up getting mixed up with Marshall and becomes the MacGuffin, which sets this story in motion as it has mystical powers. These two are played memorably by David Proval, future co-star of The Sopranos, and one of my favorite stalwart character actresses of the 80s and 90s, the legendary Swoozie Kurtz, whom I'll get to a bit later. Now, one minor criticism of the film might also be the very ending, which is heartwarming, but the more you think about it, well, I don't know. I kind of remember eating this up when I first saw it in theaters at the age of 13, thinking, oh, how sweet. Charlie proposed to his dad's girlfriend, and now that they're engaged, what a perfect Christmas present to Marshall, now that he's back in his own body. <laughs> but rewatching it now, I found myself thinking, oh, how bizarre. An 11-year-old just proposed marriage to his father's girlfriend while still inside his father's body. Yeah, that might make for some awkward moments for Marshall now that he's returned to his body and finds out that he's engaged. You can't have forgotten it was just 20 minutes ago you proposed to me. And you said yes. Sure, I told him. He's almost as thrilled about it as I am. Well, it was the 80s, right? Just about every body-switching movie had some problematic aspects in retrospect. I mean, don't even get me started on Big. Do you mean sleepover? Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. But I get to be on top. This brings me to the categories. The first category would be the best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film, because music is essential to film. One highlight roughly halfway through is when 11-year-old Charlie, who's an avid heavy metal fan, takes his father's girlfriend, Sam, played by Corinne Burr in a very charming performance, out on a date. And of course, he's doing this in the body of his father. And he decides to take her out to a concert. Wouldn't you know it, a heavy metal concert. To see a band which his father was not going to allow him to see before they switch bodies. Hey, I would have done it. The band is called Malice. And to my surprise researching this, Malice was actually a real heavy metal band from the 1980s. Now, granted, they were a more obscure one. They modeled their sound on Judas Priest and Slayer, both bands I also happened to enjoy at the time. And we see them perform one song in concert. And yet, it's really quite the kick to see sweaty, goofy Reinhold in that audience, just unabashedly rocking out like he's a kid. And not only that, but we get to see him slip on stage at one point to stand next to the lead singer, James Neal, who just reacts by putting his arm around him and making a goofy face. It's just a charming, funny moment. And the song that we hear performed is the raucous hair metal rocker, Crazy in the Night, which I've just always found shamelessly catchy, despite its ridiculous lyrics. I still do. Of course, we also see Marshall comically carted off stage by several roadies, but the moment just lands as we see just how delighted his girlfriend Sam is to witness this, as she has now seen a whole new side of her boyfriend, which she didn't know existed, even though that's not really her boyfriend. But hey, we don't have to get into that.
The next category would be wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Now back to Swoozy Kurtz. And I just love that name. I'm sorry. I just love saying the word Swoozy. I don't know why. She plays the villainous Tina who was smuggling the mystical artifact from overseas through Marshall before he inadvertently used it to switch bodies with his son. Right around 87, when Kurtz co-starred in this movie, she was kicking off a 10-year run with notable supporting parts in a slew of notable movies. Bright Lights, Big City, Wildcats, Dangerous Liaisons, A Shock to the System, and the band played on, Reality Bites, Citizen Ruth, Liar Liar, which she has this amazing outtake scene with Jim Carrey. Now let's see. Wait, 105? Yeah, in your bra. Your Honor, I object. You would! Overactor! Jazz out! <laughs> And the eventual teen remake of Dangerous Liaisons, Cruel Intentions. Anytime you would see this actress on screen, she would have at least one memorable scene and or killer line. Swoozy has just always been one of those utility players who just brings it in the clutch. And she does bring it in this movie with one funny exchange roughly about halfway through the movie when she threatens Reinhold's Marshall after he has failed to bring the mysterious object to a meeting that they've set up. Well, a lot's happened since Friday. Oh, really? Really? Mm-hmm. I see. Maybe since Friday you realized what you got. Maybe you had it valued and you think you can make a few bucks for yourself. Huh? Is that what you're trying to pull? Is that what you're trying to do, huh? You have to talk to my dad about this. Look, I didn't fly in from New York to be jerked around. And you and your dad better think about this. Because let me tell you something, Buster. You're dealing with a major ball breaker here. Ball breaker. And then we only really see her in two more scenes later in the movie, which does lead to a clever payoff between her and David Proval's character. And that's it. What gives? I mean, you have Swoozy Kurtz here as the main villain. Give her a few more scenes. Just a bit disappointing. The next category would be the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. About a third of the way into the movie, Marshall, who's of course really Charlie, comes to Charlie's school for a parent-teacher conference. He's a bit early, and walking down the hall, he spots three bullies going into the boys' room. And these were the same bullies who, in an earlier scene, were harassing him before school while he was still in his original 11-year-old body. So what follows is pretty priceless, as he busts in on them as they're smoking and pretends that he's, quote, Calhoun, high school patrol. Calhoun, high school patrol. Nice try, kid. Okay, spread up against the wall. You two, two to breath. Hey, look, I only took a drag. Did I say you could talk, punk? Word on the street is you barf bags are giving the kids in the seventh grade a hard time. Hey, we just need to talk, man. I know what's going down. You don't want to draw any heat. You know, get off their case. Comprende? Yeah, yeah, that's cool. 
Even better, we see Reinhold do this goofy celebratory dance to himself right after scaring them and walking back out into the hallway. (laughs) Yeah, I know it's juvenile and it's silly, but it's still damn funny. And now the final category, the MVP. This is the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. For a body-switching comedy to really work, what's most essential is that you have actors in those roles who are game to pull it off. And vice versa only works because of the adept comic timing and believable performances of both Fred Savage and Judge Reinhold. And as I've already mentioned just how boisterous Reinhold is with the physical comedy, I cannot forget to include just how well Fred Savage pulls off that grown-up dialogue. There's one touching exchange where we hear Charlie, who of course is really Marshall, reminisce about when he was 11 years old. And as cliched as the dialogue is, I gotta say Savage really sells it, even with his high-pitched prepubescent voice, no less. It's funny. I don't remember 11 being this tough. 1964. I played second base in Little League. The Beatles were on the radio. I saw my first James Bond film. James Bond was alive then? I'm not all that old. I got married very young, that's all. Your mother and I were still in college. We were a crazy couple of kids. Are you sorry? Of course not. Otherwise, I wouldn't have had you. But should it be surprising that this kid was such a natural actor? Fred Savage was 11 years old at the time of filming, just after his breakout role in The Princess Bride, and right before he would go on to lead the cast of the coming-of-age comedy drama The Wonder Years, playing Kevin Arnold for the next five years. I really dug that show, and he was very good in it. So good that he actually received two Emmy nominations for Outstanding Lead Actor in a Comedy Series. Really no small feat for a child actor. And even though this is just kind of a silly little comedy, this film truly capitalized on having two actors at the peak of their abilities. For pulling off the not-too-easy task of playing each other, essentially, Judge Reinhold and Fred Savage are your co-MVPs. My rating for Vice Versa would be three and a half stars out of five. Sadly, this movie was a commercial disappointment when it first came out, as it likely just got lost in the shuffle of other body-switching comedies. The movie came out just within a few months of 18 again and big, and about six months after the release of the ghastly Like Father, Like Son. Yeah, that one co-starred Kirk Cameron, which should tell you everything you need to know about it. So I get why, but I still really dig this movie, and it's fun to revisit periodically. And it also happens to be a pretty solid Christmas movie. If you're looking to watch Vice Versa, it is currently streaming on HBO Max. And that ends another ball-busting review. Special shout-out to my lovely wife, Marlene Gershon, for producing this podcast, and to my lovely daughter, Ella Gershon, for assisting in the editing. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast, and follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Living for the Cinema.